We all know the damage that fires are capable of. What we don't always understand is the cause, behavior, and what to do in the aftermath of a fire. Today, you'll understand these aspects just a little bit more. Welcome to Speaking of Fire with Mike Schlattman and Donna Ingram. We will give you tips on fire prevention, how to deal with insurance matters, and more. Now, here are your hosts, Donna and Mike. Hello and welcome to Speaking of Fire. This is your host, Mike Slatman. I'm honored to be a past president of the International Association of Arson Investigators. And I am a fire expert, having been practicing for a little bit over 46 years now. Um, Donna Ingram, my co-host, will not be here today. Uh, She has other commitments that I've uh, asked her to take care of. But today we've got a really good show for you. Um, I'm really, I'm actually very happy to to have Brian Zakowski, who is a uh, who is a fire prevention specialist for Honda North America. This uh, Honda, the the car maker, gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, and uh, he is responsible for for fire prevention activity, fire prevention training, fire investigation, fire code compliance, emergency drill coordination. He does everything uh, for Honda in North America. He is a um, he is a prior. Uh, first of all, Brian, first right now is a certified fire and explosion investigator, uh, a, a fire inspector two, and a commercial building inspector, and has over 13 years of experience in uh, in fire investigation, and and even works uh, for a um, for a municipal agency. He's going to tell you about that in a moment, but I want to I want to tell you how uh, I ran across Brian. Brian was in an expert witness testimony course. That uh, that the IAAI, the International Association of Arson Investigators, has, uh, and he uh, he came to the um, the class uh, to get some uh, training in um, in how to testify. So, Brian, welcome to Speaking of Fire. Well, thank you so much for having me, Mike. I appreciate it. Now, I, I I'm sorry, I might have butchered your name. Uh, what's your what's your last name, please? Ziskowski. You were pretty yeah, close. Most people pretty really close. butcher it, and they just, you know, I just tell them I'm a good old Italian boy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. Well, you, know, you know, I was not, not whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, of course. And uh, you know what? Um, it, well, they, you know, it, it's common spelling, though, right? It, it is yeah, common. Well, of course it is. Yeah. Yes, of course. Okay. Well, anyway, but um, I was, I was. Um, Happy to meet you, Brian. You, I know you've got a lot of, of um, background. You were a volunteer fire, firefighter. You have a bachelor's of science in emergency management and an associate in, in uh, of science in fire protection technology. You you worked for a, a private investigation firm um, as an intern, and then you had your own company for a while. Uh, is that correct? That is correct. That is correct. I've had a very interesting career so far. In my 13 years. Yeah, and then you worked for the city of Pittsburgh, uh, fire prevention as a fire inspector, and then uh, and then you got the engineering coordinator position with uh, Honda North America. Well, that's great. That's uh, that's quite an uh, an improvement over these uh, 13 years. You've uh, really moved up. Um, and what do you credit your um, your uh, somewhat a meteoric rise uh, to? Well, a lot of it is, you know, doing the best you can and working hard and just uh, trying to improve yourself and always taking the opportunity to learn 
and even present. Um, you know, over the years, uh, it's just, you know, things change with the fire service, with fire prevention. And I've always, you know, would strive to keep up on new technologies and new methods and new codes and new ways of doing things. And it has helped me uh, progress in my career. Yeah, and you, and you had, um, I mean, you've got the Bachelor's of Science in Emergency Management. You had an associate in, in science and fire uh, protection uh, technology before that. What kind of, I mean, what, what kind of um, attributes do those particular um, uh, degrees give you? What, what can you do with those things? <clears throat> those degrees are um, technical and hands-on type of uh, degrees. Um, my first, very first class, believe it or not, was uh, fire investigation methods, where uh, NFPA 921 at the time was our, our handbook. I believe it was the 2004 edition, and obviously it's grown a lot since then. Actually, no, it, it, I think it was the 2001 edition, excuse me. And um, uh, going through, uh, you know, proper methods of investigating fires, uh, also classes on building construction, fire codes, uh, fire suppression and detection systems. Um, and you were required to do an internship, which my, um, for my first degree, my associate's degree, I chose to do it in fire investigation. I worked for, uh, I did my internship for a small company out of Ohio, and it was a tremendous uh, learning experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, the program that I was in was at the University of Akron. So it was really a two-plus-two program where you can get an associate's degree and then in either fire protection, criminal justice, or occupational health and safety, and then move on to get your emergency management degree, your bachelor of science degree. And to my knowledge, that uh, the University of Akron was one of the first in the country that offered a bachelor of science degree in emergency management. A lot of that had to do with, well, it was pre-9-11 and, and it really wasn't on anybody's radar, you know, what's emergency management? Uh, but that kind of rounds you out from the degree program that you come from, uh, mine being the fireside. And it talks about incident command, uh, disaster planning, uh, hazard mitigation, and so forth. And all of those help you, um, you know, in the field when you go out and you're in the working environment because you're already exposed to this. Yeah, and you know, I was wondering. You know, you were a volunteer firefighter, also. Now you've actually yes, worked with Pryson. Yeah, you're, you actually worked with Pryson as well as uh, investigation. Um, uh, so, in this, I'm, I know that uh, a lot of uh, people that are listening to this are firefighters and, and fire investigators, and and so suppression helps you understand fire behavior, and then also uh, investigation, of course. Uh, the more uh, you get into fire dynamics and fire effects, fire, fire uh, patterns, um, it has you uh, understand what caused the fire. Um, what was your experience as a volunteer? Did you, uh, did you uh, work a lot of uh, working fires? I had probably a dozen or so fires that I was um, involved with. Um, the volunteer fire service where I was working at in Western Pennsylvania, it's an unpaid position. So mm-hmm. if you're available, you show up and, you know, you put the gear on and you go and do it. Obviously, you know, I had training and everything. Um, but actually the very first call I answered uh, as a junior firefighter was an apartment fire. And I'll never forget that. It was actually one of the 
scariest and nerve-wracking events I, you know, I've probably ever had in my life. And I think a lot of firefighters could attest to the fact that, you know, if you're not nervous or on edge or even a little bit, of, little bit scared when you're going to a fire call, it's time to retire because if you don't, you're going to probably get yourself and somebody else hurt because you're, you know, you're kind of on edge. You're more aware, you know what I mean? And if you're not yeah. that way, then <laughs> so I could definitely relate to that. And, you know, I give a lot of credit to the, the guys and gals that ride the trucks and <clears throat> do it for a full-time career. Um, it's a lot of work, and especially in the inner cities where you where you run calls a little more frequently than maybe rural areas, and you have high rises, and, and you have to rely on that uh, fixed fire those fixed fire protection systems and stand pipes and buildings. You know, sometimes you, you know people in general, not necessarily firefighters, they take it for granted that all these buildings are safe, and and sometimes mm-hmm. they may be lacking. <laughs> Well, yeah, you're absolutely right. And as a matter of fact, I just worked uh, the the 13th fatality uh, fire in um, in New York uh, on that uh, apartment home and, and uh, apartment house. And uh, and I want to tell you, I, they're all admiration to the uh, firefighters that that <laughs> risk their lives every day, uh, responding to any fire. Um, and every time, even a false alarm, they're risking their lives every time they go out there. So that's why we are so. Uh, adamant that uh that you only call in a fire when there's a real fire uh and so oh, there's, there's to, no question no question yeah. mike and and if you weren't and if you weren't if you weren't afraid uh the first time uh, you wouldn't be human um because no, you're right you that's right be some, kind of, <laughs> some kind of psychotic <laughs> or something you know <laughs> right anyway but let's talk about your you know what are you well this this degree you you, you armed yourself with the degree uh, you went mm-hmm. out there and you started working uh, as a as a fire, um, not only a fire in, in investigator, but you were an inspector too, a fire inspector for uh, for Pittsburgh, right? Yes, I was, and uh, and that gave you a lot of uh, exposure to um, fire codes and and uh, I imagine you already had some, of course, when, with uh, with your tr- your training, but um, uh, you also looked at a lot of a uh, lot of different types of. Uh, of commercial um, uh, application. So you learned a lot there, didn't you? Oh, there's no question about it. Um, You know, going from just being a fire investigator when I first came out of college and doing my internship, you know, yes, you follow NFK 921, but when you do the code side of things, especially in commercial occupancies, then you realize, hey, there's 300, 400 other codes that, this, you know, that you have to reference for all these different types of occupancies. And, you know, a lot of them are written as a result because we had a bad experience in that type of occupancy. We had a fire or we had a fatality before. But going into that, it really opened my eyes as to how much you can learn and how powerful knowledge can be, especially when you're trying to investigate a fire in a commercial type occupancy, you know, knowing where to look in the codes knowing that, hey, there's an NFPA standard that applies. You know, this building should be designed a certain way. Why isn't it? And, you know, to ask those questions. So, you know, I would I would also highly encourage anybody that's listening to the program, whether you're a private guy or you're on the public side and you're a fire investigator, you know, do everything you possibly can to learn as much about the different codes. You don't have to be an expert. You just have to know where to look. And you could always find the right answer with a little bit of research. 
And sometimes that might help your cause if you get a fire loss in one of these properties. Yeah, and you know, as a matter of fact, as, a, as business owners, when they have their own plants, their physical plants, and, um, mm-hmm. and different applications, that, um, well, I work a lot of commercial kitchen fires, okay? And so right. one of the things that we want to make sure that the, the fire protection companies and the, and the, the duct cleaners and, and those people are all familiar with NFPA 96, and, uh, and which, is, which is a guiding um, <clears throat> uh, standard for, for that, for commercial kitchen ventilation systems. And I'm on that, uh, I'm on that committee as, a, as an alternate. But um, you, are, you, and particularly with Honda North America, I was really happy to run across you because I know Honda is a massive worldwide um, organization. And I was happy to see that you had, uh, you're the fire prevention specialist for, for Honda North America. So you've got a big job here. What, what, what uh, does your, I know you, you do fire investigations and explosion investigations and manufacturing industrial environments, but you, you have to mitigate that uh, ever happening, don't you? Oh, yes. We have to, we have to think like the fire is going to happen. So any, any new process that we have at any of our plants, and, of course, there's a lot of different hazards you can encounter in a manufacturing environment. And I think this is something that fire investigators in general don't receive a lot of training or, or, or knowledge on because, you know, typically we're talking about residential or, you know, large residential apartment buildings and stuff where you have the living room and living areas. You know, we're not necessarily talking about different process equipment that may have open flame, that there could be other types of hot work in the area, that they could be using lasers, um, you know, grinding, you know, just anything where you're, where you're heating up uh, parts to refine them. You know, you, you already have these ignition sources there, and coupled with that, you know, at, at Honda or, you know, typically any other auto manufacturer, you're always going to be using flammable and combustible liquids, um, flammable-type gases, and even uh, produce, maybe producing combustible dust in some of your processes. And, you know, when you're, when you're designing these different processes of, of finishing a product, you know, the questions I always ask, okay, <clears throat> what type of materials are we, are we dealing with? Are we dealing with any flammable, combustible liquids? Are we using heat? Are we using an open flame? Um, what's the byproduct? Are we going to get, <clears throat> excuse me, flammable uh, vapors as a byproduct? Are we going to get dust? Do we need to test this dust to determine whether or not it's combustible? So that's kind of like a starting point for when we go through these processes. So it's hard because there's a bunch of different departments in a plant, and you're trying to get in front of the project manager. And unfortunately, with with anything else, as, as you know, fire always kind of lags behind the rest of the fire protection, lags behind technology. You know, when technology evolves, we're always last to the party. So... Um, we try to be first with what, what we do at Honda, but you know, even so, it's a challenge because you have engineers that are designing this equipment, and the last thing they want to hear is, "Okay, the fire guy's coming in asking all these questions, and we have to do X, Y, and Z to make sure that this is fire and explosion safe." Yes, and I and I and I, I can feel your pain because I know that there are a lot of. I mean, as fire investigators, we have to go out and. Uh, 
and ask a lot of questions to a lot of people, and it makes them uncomfortable sometimes. Uh, however, it has to be done. And uh, and I this is a big job, uh, Brian. You've got a, a heck of a job there because uh, I've been to some manuf- some auto manufacturing plants, uh, and I know how large they are, and I know there's all these different processes going on at the same time. Um, I, I know that you um, that they pre-engineer a, a lot of places. I mean, they do just like the fire departments come in and do a a pre-fire uh, uh, plan. Uh, right. And do you? Do you assist? Do you assist them with uh, with that? I don't know if you do that or not. Well, not really specifically that. But what I wanted to say was when I asked these questions. So, say mm-hmm. we're talking about combustible dust. Well, my next mm-hmm. question is, okay, well, what kind of dust is it? You know, plastic dust. If we grind plastic parts, mm-hmm. you know, plastic dust is explosible. So I'm going into the NFPA guidance documents, looking at those, saying, okay, well, we have to put some type of dust collector or a fines collector on this piece of equipment, and we have to design it with all the, these protection features. So once I get those questions answered, that's when I start diving into the NFPA standards, all the you know few hundred standards that are out there and whatever you know I could determine applies. That's how we design our equipment. Um, as far as emergency response, we, um, I, you know, part of my job, too, is ensuring that that the, our plant responders, which we have fire brigade uh, members at the plant, so uh, mm-hmm. some of the plants we have our own uh, fire truck and, and and fire service members that are Honda associates. Others are contracted out. It just varies where you where you are. Um, but mm-hmm. we do that because you know the likelihood of having a fire in, in any of these facilities is great. You know if one occurs. Um, it, you know, hopefully it's small and, and doesn't really injure anybody or affect anybody. But, you know, when we do the planning with the fire brigade members, we make them aware, okay, well, this is where the flammable and combustible liquids are. This is where we're going to be creating combustible dust. <clears throat> and if we're creating combustible metal dust, you know, especially if it's like aluminum, you know, cars now, they have to meet requirements, new fuel requirements. They have to be lighter, so you're seeing more lighter metals, aluminum-type metals, and, you know, you, you sand those bodies. You, you create dust. So if you have a flash fire in these areas, you can't throw water on it. So you right. have to identify this and, and make the fire brigade members aware that, hey, if you throw water on a, on a metal dust fire, you're going to make it worse, and you could possibly cause an explosion and really injure yourself. So uh, we do go to great lengths to work with them in that regard. Now that would have to that would certainly um, for the uh, listening audience that's uh, you know that's out of out of the fire service the general public would be sen- similar to is if you had a um, a cooking fire a, a grease fire on your range and you threw water on the grease what would happen would be an explosive type of extension of the flames towards you probably burn you well that's what Brian's talking about here if you put uh, the water on on the uh, on the metal, uh, that type of uh, explosive uh, situation, and uh, and so hopefully it never happens. And but if if it does, you have to do pre planning, and and you have your if you don't, if, well you've got your own response right inside the plant, correct? Mm-hmm. And then, correct. and then you and then you use uh, the municipal as a as in essence a backup. To you, right? Yeah, we're hoping that 
our associates will be able to put it out on their own. I mean, the, the mm-hmm. municipal department will be called, but if, if the municipal department, um, you know, comes and takes over, we have a really big problem. Um, hopefully yeah. that never happens. Um, but, you know, we're, <laughs> you know, like I said, when I was talking about the metal dust, I mean, you know, class D fire extinguishers and, and one of the, one of the other things is training. I mean, and a lot of people don't realize this, you know, fire investigators, fire inspectors, even fire fighters, you know, if you're in a process where you're creating metal dust and it's combustible and you have to have class D extinguishers, um, right. you're required by code to have training on that type of extinguisher because it operates differently than your typical ABC fire extinguisher or CO2 type of fire extinguisher. It's, it's a general, general application where it has a cone at the end. It's a long one, and you have to literally put it almost over the burning material and coat it so it mm-hmm. doesn't squirt out and it doesn't spread it. And, and there's a lot of training that, that goes in, into this as well. I mean, even associates that we have um, that aren't necessarily fire brigade members, they have to know this if there's in, they're in these areas, you know, so that they can operate the fire extinguisher if needed. Yeah, and you also have, and, and as you said before, you do everything in your, po- in your power to prevent anything happening, and you and you go through NFPA standards, and you. I know FM Global, uh, FM Global has uh, has an ASTM. Yes. Uh, the ASTM, they also have uh, different standards that might apply. Is that correct? Uh, it is correct. What's What's interesting about that is, you know, state fire, state and local fire codes are are strict, but they're the absolute minimum. When you're in a manufacturing type of occupancy or even a warehouse, um, you know, with high value, high dollar, you know, uh, items being stored, um, FM global standards are commonly referred to, and they're a step above and beyond what your typical fire codes. They might call for double protection on, in some instances. And, um, or, or like a sprinkler system, say, say you have, um, you know, for the hazard of an auto manufacturing, you know, you talk about a certain density that's, that's required by NFPA 13. Well, FM Global might say in their standard, your density has to be double what NFPA 13 says. And mm-hmm. a lot of the insurance companies, when you get into these high dollar, high value occupancies of manufacturing or warehousing, require you to be more strict. They require you to have a, a better sprinkler system than, than what is just required by code. So, and, well, and, and this is something that if you brought somebody in from the outside, let's say you, you brought me in from the outside <clears throat> as an yes. investor, I would need to know, I would, have, I would need to know what, what kind of documents that I would need as a fire investigator if, if I had uh, one of this kind of manufacturing industrial loss, right? I'd have to know what I'm looking for. Absolutely. You know, here at Honda, we, we've taken it upon ourselves. We've, we've referenced FM Global Standards and FPA Standards, and we actually have our own uh, fire prevention documents for, for hazards that we encounter quite frequently throughout the plant that are, you know, dangerous and, you know, and otherwise, you know, may not be easily referenced right away. So 
we write these down and we call these our North American fire prevention standards. So all the plants and warehouses and really any of our properties that we have um, outside, of course, uh, you know, the dealerships, we don't really get into that with at all. But, you know, Canada, United States, and Mexico, they all have these documents. So um, they know what to design their sprinkler systems around when they have a certain hazard. Or if they're fueling a vehicle, you know, you we, you fill the vehicle inside the building. So the area that you're filling it, you have to have ventilation. You have to have, you know, the sprinkler system. You have to have rated electrical, you know, because you're, you could potentially have a release if you have a spill of flammable vapors. So electrical has to be rated in an area where you're dispensing flammable liquids. And also, if there's a fire or a fire alarm, we have uh, shutoffs for our fuel pumps and, you know, so that they're not pumping fuel anymore. And they're only set oh, yeah. for a certain amount. So you don't have this massive spill where you're dumping the whole tank from the tank farm into a fire. Yeah, well, that's that's terrific. I mean, and it's also you paint you paint the vehicles too, don't you? The, you oh, paint yeah. them inside the plants also, and uh, it's that's uh, that has its own inherent uh, difficulties. I worked a bunch of paint booth fires though, in, in different smaller, not not in manufa- in uh, manufacturing plant, but in smaller occupancies, and and I know that they have their own uh, set of difficulties. Oh, painting is probably. Painting a vehicle in the auto industry is kind of probably one of the most hazardous that you can encounter. Um, from the simple fact that you know it, it's gotten better over the last couple of years, there, there's man, there's manufacturers making water-based paints, but mm-hmm. there's still a good amount of solvent paints that, that are out there. So <clears throat> the solvent paints are obviously flammables, highly flammable. They're vaporizing at, at room temperature giving off vapors at room temperature. So they could even be ignited potentially with a static spark. So we have these large mix rooms where everything in the mix room is class one, division one uh, rated, which is the most strict electrical you can have. It almost, I mean, it's very, very thick metal boxes and conduit. And, you know, we have... um, explosion uh, relief walls, we have to put our mix rooms on the exterior. One of the walls has to be on the exterior of the building. So if we would have a fire or an explosion, that there's explosion relief and it won't come back into the plant and cause more damage. Um, We have flame flame arresters on our paint pots, um, um, LEL detection, um, ventilation, uh, humidification. Yeah. So... Yeah, yeah, and the lower explosive limit uh, is is LEL. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just trying to uh, clarify for the for the non non people not in it. So in this in this, sure. uh, we've only got a, a minute left here, but uh, until we go to the break, but um, I want to talk to you about you know I want to I want to I want to talk when we come back about um, some ha- hazards that could contribute to the fire spread in something like this. Okay. And I also, on the other side of the break, I want to hear an interesting fire story from you. And you said you had one for me, don't you? Yes, I do. (laughs) Well, I'm glad because it'll be good, too. So um, we're going to take a break now. So when you come back, uh, come back to Speaking of Fire.
We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Fire Consulting International provides consulting and expert fire origin and cause investigations. Our experienced, certified fire investigators have specialized skills to meet litigation requirements. We also provide peer review of reports for other investigative firms to assure they meet NFPA guidelines and ASTM standards. Educational classes and CEU classes are also provided. For professional investigations, contact Fire Consulting International at fcifire.com or call 913-262-5200. Fireanalysis.net offers cutting-edge, comprehensive programs unique to the insurance industry. Our vendor vetting assures regulatory compliance with the Sarbanes-Oxley Act, NFPA guidelines, and ASTM standards. We ensure that investigators' reports are in compliance with those standards. We also offer comprehensive programs to assure compliance with your company guidelines. Please contact FireAnalysis.net. That's FireAnalysis.net. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Speaking of Fire with Mike Schlattman and Donna Ingram. To call in to today's show, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to connect at speakingoffire.com. Now, back to this week's program. Hello and welcome back to Speaking of Fire. Thank you for being here. Today we're talking to Brian Zakowski, who is the uh, fire prevention specialist for Honda North America, and he's been very interesting. And and uh, and Brian, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me again. I'm looking forward to the second half of the show. Yeah, well, you're good, and, and thank you. And uh, before the break, I said we were going to come back and and talk about some kind of hazards that might can contribute to the fire spread in uh, in these industrial places. Uh, can you talk to me about that for a moment? Um, different things that um, can contribute to a fire spread. Um, even would be the uh, flammable combustible liquids containers. Um, sometimes uh, we've we've had a little bit of an issue. Um, trying to educate uh, the associates and so forth on plastic containers. Um, plastic containers, large bulk containers, are approved by the Department of Transportation, so they put flammable and combustible liquids in there. Well, they're not approved when you have them stored inside of a building because there's no sprinkler system that can protect that, and they fail very quickly. Ah. Yeah, well, that yeah, that would be that would be quite something. Then you then you have a a massive fire uh, from the spill alone, right? And and that's and that's the problem. Um, they're called intermediate bulk containers, uh, so they look like a big plastic coat. They would have about two hundred and eighty gallons of liquid in it. Flam, you know, any kind of liquid. They're not supposed to have flammable and combustible liquid, but um, they've done fire testing testing on them and. 
when you, they're exposed to a fire, they, like I said, they fell rapidly, and then all of a sudden you go from a small fire to a huge spreading pool of fire, and it could overwhelm the sprinkler system. Sure. Yeah. Goodness. Um, other things like uh, human actions, uh, human can do that too, can't they? Uh, they're, uh, they can, well, they can have spills. They can, they can uh, mm-hmm. actually start a fire. What kind of human things? I mean, I, I mean, uh, people make mistakes. It, it's we're everywhere. Sure. So, uh, sure. I know that you don't allow smoke, smoking, surely, in your plants, do you? Correct. <laughs> That's correct. Uh, what about what about is what other kind of things do, do, do inadvertently? And I'm not saying on purpose. But what kind of things do <laughs> do humans do that accidentally cause fires? Friction, some uh, drops, uh, whatever. What? Well, at a lot of our plants, we, well, not a lot of them, all of the plants, we have uh, our own hot work programs. So we do a lot of hot work at the, at the facilities where, um, you know, it might be hand labor to use a torch or a welder. Um, and sometimes, and, and a lot of times we have designated areas for that, but sometimes we have the, we have to, we have areas that temporarily, uh, are needed for hot work. Say you can't move it, you can't move the work to a permanent hot work area. The associate has to do the work right then and there. Well, they have to mm-hmm. pull a permit and they have to follow the regulations to um, remove any combustibles away, you know, from the area, thirty-five foot radius, or cover them, and um, you know, make sure they have all the sign-offs. Make sure they have a fire watch. And sometimes, you know, when you're doing this work, you know, somebody who doesn't understand fire or hasn't been part of a, a hot work process where there is a fire, you take it for granted while everything's okay and they just start doing the work. And sometimes, you know, the result is, well, we're catching combustibles on fire in the area uh, where they're doing the hot work. And, and a lot of it has to do with not following proper hot work procedures. And that's always a challenge because, you know, associates change roles and you have to uh, re-educate them every year on what the policies are. Yeah, so you know that there has to be like NFPA um, 51B that talks about hot work. You, I know you have to be familiar with it. You're a fire prevention specialist, but you also have to have your associates uh, learn sections of it uh, so that they can operate properly, correct? Oh, yes. We Every... Um, we give an annual training. Well, each plant does. The plant fire uh, leads give a, um, an annual training to associates that are um, involved with uh, hot work on a regular basis, project managers. So they go through uh, this training, and they have to sign a sheet that, that they understand our policy. And if, and if we go through and we find out that they we issued them a hot work permit and um, there's deficiencies in the area where they're doing the hot work. They lose the privilege of issuing uh, hot work permits or being involved in it. So, um, you know, there's a lot at stake with that, and we really stress the importance with it. It sounds like you're the Honda North America is doing their job and and uh, making sure that uh, people remain safe because there's um, multiple ignition sources in a an industrial manufacturing environment, right? I mean, you you've got a well, I mean, anybody that's ever been through a plant and saw and saw the, uh, the things being put together, the, the robotic uh, uh, welding right. and stuff like that, that's amazing. 
It, it really is. Um, you know, one of that's one of the things that intrigued me about this position when I when I interviewed for it and I, I went through. I mean, seeing the weld department. You know, you're welding these body panels on and creating a vehicle, and it's, it's amazing. But that's a permanent hot work area, so you can't have any combustibles around there. And yeah, a lot of it's done by robots. Um, you know, very few. Um, you know, is are done by hand nowadays because you're making we're making so many units a day, and um, we need the robots are much quick, more quick uh, than humans are. So yeah, we always go through these areas, and we're like there has to be weld curtains around, you know, and no combustibles. So it's it's pretty interesting with that. It's not always a challenge, and I like it. I'm sure, and it, it's terrific. And yeah, and you've got to go all over the plant and know. There's all these multiple ignition sources too, right? I mean, it's not only mm-hmm. hot work, but uh, you've got other things. Well, you can even have a, a friction. I mean, you could have a machine uh, melt. Uh, machines are machines; they'll break down every once in a while. You could even have a friction uh, friction mm-hmm. loss, or uh, you know, something like that, right? Yeah, yes, you can. I mean, we have a lot of conveyors and, and different types of ventilation equipment where there's a lot of bearings and moving parts and. And we have to keep up on our maintenance of, of those, which we, you know, every plant um, at Honda, and I'm sure every plant, any manufacturing plant in, in the U.S., you know, they're going to have uh, maintenance, uh, you know, reminders that they have to look at this and keep these bearings and stuff uh, lubricated so that they don't rub, they don't malfunction, or they don't come apart and, and are an ignition source for a fire. So yeah, that is I've, a challenge as well. Yeah, and, and that's exactly right. And I've worked uh, some elevators, you know, grain elevator um, mm-hmm. explosion, and, uh, and 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 bearings is one of the things you have to look at every time because uh, that can cause, uh, you know, those uh, four four or five hundred um, uh, microns uh, of, of dust to explode if uh, if there's a spark. Mm-hmm. And so that's oh. that's amazing. Yeah, and so you ever encounter static? Yeah, oh yeah, Any static. Yeah, static. That's yeah. an ignition source too. We have to worry about. But I was wondering, in, in your experience, have you have you ever seen static where it ignited, and was it the actual ignition source? Yes, and it actually happens. And as a matter of fact, we've had, uh, and and this is for the general public. Uh, we don't want people to jump in and out of their cars in this cold weather. Uh, to to get in and out uh, while they're filling up their gas tanks. Mm-hmm. The reason being is that um, in a particularly colder environment, uh, you'll have a vapor, gasoline vapor, and and you can you can get out of your car, have uh, have have static electricity ignite that, and and actually people have been burned to death at the pump from uh, static electricity being the ignition source for the, um, the gasoline vapor. And uh, and now with with your Industrial stuff. I, I imagine you you um, guard against static too, don't you? Yes, we do. Um, especially in as I was talking before in our paint mix rooms, um, when associates go in there and they transfer paints and, and they pour them, they have to be from metal container to metal container, bonded and grounded to prevent any static spark. And and also we have humidification in the in the paint mix rooms as a kind of an extra safeguard. Uh, because we don't want it to get dry, and you know, the drier the air, 
the better chance there is for a static buildup. And a lot of the solvent paints we use can be ignited with static, and it has happened before. I, I wanted to tell you, not at Honda, but there was a plant in New York, and the video was online, and it was fascinating to me. It was, I think it was a nail polish plant where they had... Mm-hmm. Uh, the, it was it was an actual video. It was a security video of an associate pouring um, nail polish remover in the, inside of a plastic container, and static ignited it. And it just wow. was a huge flash fire. It, it was incredible. If I find it, I'll, I'll I'll send it to you so you could share. But I don't know if they've taken yeah. it offline. It's interesting. I appreciate that. That's primarily acetone that they're using. So, what about mm-hmm. um, what about what happens if uh, you really do if you have a fire and explosion in a piece of uh, process equipment or something? What what type of information could help determine the cause of? I know you you look at them. You actually do fire investigations still, do you not? Mm-hmm. Yes, I do. Um, you know, some some facilities well, we may have a fire. Um, like I said, there's just the chances are always good when you're, and that's why we have our own fire brigades on site. So uh, with process equipment, uh, yes, we, in fact, uh, can have a small fire. And, um, and we've had some on record uh, that I've been there that, um, depending upon what the process is, uh, we've had a small fire. So uh-huh. um, I had to look at it and uh, determine, you know, what what the cause was and the ignition source and, and um it, it so was interesting. Yeah, so what Sorry. kind of information do you need uh, help you? I mean, I guess imagine what the, what the process is and then what the working parts of, of the machine are or whatever. What? Right. What, what are the working parts of the machine? Are you using flammable combustible liquids? Are you heating it up? Um, mm-hmm. You know, what, what could be a potential ignition source? You know, that, that's, that's typically what I'll ask. If um, if we get a, a fire loss or a small fire somewhere, well, what are we doing in this area? What are we using? Okay, are we using a flammable liquid? Are we using a flammable gas? Um, are we heating stuff up? Was somebody here doing hot work? Questions like that. Um, you know, and then once we pinpoint the area, and we've had instances where, you know, equipment would overheat, bearings would be an ignition source and catch uh, dust on fire. Sure. Yeah, sure. And and people, do you um, are there standard? I mean, I imagine that you. Is there anything about um, uh, clothing or, or or shoes or anything that you have to to enforce? Oh oh yes. Um, well, obviously, steel-toed boots in the plants. And uh, when you're working out in this equipment, you want to have all cotton uniforms. Uh, we call them C2 uniforms. That's that's what's written on them. Basically, if if you're caught in an arc flash event, like, cause we have a lot of electrical there too. And then we have ignition sources. We have open flame depending upon what the process is. So, um, if you just have regular clothing on or a, just a regular uniform, you know, it could be made of uh, plastic materials. So C2 uniforms, all cotton and it won't melt in your skin. Like how, um, you know, a, a typical piece of clothing would. Yeah. Yeah. I remember poly. <laughs> I, mean, I remember the '70s, so I remember certain kind of clothing that we used to wear, which was really plastic. So that's our yeah. Anyway, that's what it is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so your investigations—they um, help with 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 actually. Um, well, 
the thorough, the most thorough you are, then you help, um, well, you can draft new codes and standards from that, right? The more you find out. <clears throat> yes, and, and, and that, is, that is key because we have um, a lot of advisors uh, for loss control that look out for our interests and help us out, that lend a hand, and they sit on NFPA codes and standards. And also, you know, I'll go as far as saying, even the investigators listening, you know, when you get an industrial fire, uh, whether you're a private guy or, or public guy, it really helps um, as well with with your information too, doing a thorough investigation and, and, and at least understanding NFPA because that could drive a change in the code that, you know, may help us. So, um, you know, that's why it's kind of like when you're a fire investigator, it's good to have a, at least an understanding of where to look because you could have a long-term effect on what we do and how we're going to design equipment in the future. Yeah, and that is really great. And thank you for saying that because, you know, I mean, with the with, uh, with automobiles and, and uh, trucks, uh, they're evolving. I mean, look at more and more of the hybrids and the, and the pure electric vehicles now. I mean, it's a mm-hmm. whole new area for us, too, on learning how to, um, well, on firefighters and how to put them out. Uh, there's a mm-hmm. thing currently on, on the Internet about um, uh, an electric vehicle burning and, and how it would take about 3,000 gallons of water at least uh, to, to, get a, to get a handle on that. And then, uh, but you really the way you do it is you disconnect it by interrupting the high-voltage loop. But um, not everybody knows that yet. And uh, and so you have to be right on top of that, don't you, Brian? Because your 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 plants build things here. Well, and that is correct. Um, a lot of what we have to do with so, um, is actually the storage of the product before it goes into the car. Once it goes into the car, the cars go outside to the lot to be delivered to the dealer. So we can, so we're looking at it from the point where okay, well, we have a plastic container, and then we have a, a lithium-ion battery module. We're going to put all of these together, build this, and then put this in the car. So mm-hmm. from our concern, um, it would be, okay, well, the lithium-ion battery packaging, you know, what storage arang- arrangements is accept- you know, that we can store this is acceptable that our sprinkler system would be able to handle if we did have a fire. Now, when you get to the finished product and in the vehicle, um, we don't necessarily deal with that because the outside of the plant and then they're pretty much delivered after that point or delivered to the dealership. But inside the plant, just, you know, the building of these materials, which you could have uh, somebody, um, you know, make a mistake and drop something or puncture it and we could have a fire, we could have a spill, um, and those are taken into consideration as well. Well, that's terrific, and I'm glad you're there to do that because, um, you know, first, well, I, I've got a Honda myself, and I actually got a couple <laughs> of them, so, so I, I'm glad. Well, what that, kind do you drive? Well, I, I drive an Accord, but I also have an SUV, um, so, um, so I'm, you know, got, hey, listen, I'm glad you guys are out there because I can't, the reason I keep buying Hondas is because you can't kill them. They just, they just you know what, well, stop. you're right. going. <laughs> You're right, and we pride ourselves as a company on that being very qual, you know, high quality manufacturing of a product that lasts. And that's exactly right, and it's got a great uh, resale value too. And but here's the here's the fun part. It's it, and now this we get to this uh, uh, we get to this the fire story. 
You've got a fire mm-hmm. story for for me that uh, you have, have have teased me by telling me that it's it's interesting. So, could you tell us the story, please? Sure, absolutely. Um, my first or second year as a fire inspector, uh, working for the municipality I was working at, um, I, I received an email uh, as soon as I came in on my shift um, that there was this residential property. And it had gross fire code violations. So I was assigned to go there along with the electrical inspector and the building inspector and even the public safety director at the time was, was going to be headed over there. It was really bad. It was student housing for a college. <clears throat> so we were supposed to meet at 8 a.m. in, in mm-hmm. front of this building. So we, we got there right on time, and we had the fire radio on. And the fire radio, we have, they were, they were dispatched for a structure fire. Now, in the municipality I worked in, uh, there's hundreds and hundreds of roads um, because it was a big, bigger city and, you know, the same number. But we heard the, the number of the, of the property that they were dispatched to was the same, but we didn't hear the, hear the road. So at the exact time we pull up, the fire department was dispatched for a building at the same number. So we get out. And we start walking around the building, and this girl comes running out. She says, oh, my God, the building is on fire. Please help us. I mean, it was like a Powerball, you know, type of odds moment. I would have rather hit the Powerball, to be honest with you. But, um, you know, what are the chances of that? You're supposed to be there at 8 a.m. And the fire department was dispatched. It was an actual fire. It was um, in a residence. Uh, it was a cooking-type fire. And... The fire code violations, thankfully we were there because we were, the trucks were coming and we walked in, well we didn't, we hurried in and the fire alarm system that was there, we pulled it, it didn't even work. So we're banging Uh-oh. on doors trying to get, yeah, we're banging on doors trying to get residents out, college students out, which we did a good job and you get, we jumped on the radio and said, hey, this is an actual fire, you got better step on it. Um, yeah, really. It was just, I mean the odds of it happening them being dispatched at the exact, exact moment for a fire there when we were supposed to do a fire inspection and probably evacuate the property was amazing. And I tell yeah. people that story and they don't believe it. I said, I'm telling you that that happened. I, and it was just, it was co- coincidence. I, you know, I don't believe in coincidences, but I couldn't have scripted that any better. I mean, we were there at the right time. And the safety director, I remember him patting us on the shoulder and saying, boy, you really saved us today. You know, just by being here, you know, it just just happened. The stars aligned for whatever reason. But um, that that's probably the strangest and most intense things I've ever encountered. Yeah, if I was the fire investigator working for that department, I'd be separating you guys and interviewing you to make sure that you're the one that's <laughs> Well, you know what? We were worried about that. We said we're going to... Well, we weren't worried about it. We were saying, well, they're going to think we set this. And I'm like, this is this is too unbelievable. And it was just like... Mike, I'm telling you, we we pulled out, we pulled up right in front of that property, and they were dispatched at that exact exact moment. It was it was bizarre. That's <laughs> amazing. Well, as as everybody knows, the fire investigators, um, and, and I'm sure you do too. We uh, we're very tense about fire, so we have. I mean, I have multiple. I think I have eight eight um, smoke detectors in my house. All right, as well as CO mm-hmm. CO. I mean CO. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, which is carbon monoxide, and uh, and I'm paranoid about having a fire because somebody's going to think I did it, right? And 
I would imagine that would that would be you too, Brian. Oh. Yeah, you my wife. Wanna... <laughs> my what? wife. She likes the candles and you know the space heater. I, I am absolutely paranoid. We have one space heater in the house, and I am absolutely paranoid about it. We have a pretty large um, master bathroom, and it kind of gets drafty and chilly in there. And and she uses that, and I'm just like. You know, my, oh, three, I'm just three feet from paranoid. any combustible. Yeah, keep it. Yeah. keep it three feet away from any combustible. Don't don't put the trash can over there. Yeah, um, and blow out the candle and trim the wick. Oh, I know. I, I can hear you. Uh, my lovely <laughs> wife. Uh, my lovely wife used to like to set off the um, smoke detectors with her cooking. So um, she, she won't. She won't be. She won't give me a hard time about. Telling, but every time she had a pizza, I don't know what it was, but uh, every time we had pizza that she was making, that we always had a, a nice smoke detector go off, <laughs> so we had to open doors and windows. So in a way, we're kind of helping people now, um, you know, it, with a few uh, fire prevention tips here. Um, well, have you got any fire prevention pre- uh, prevention tips for commercial, uh, industrial? Um, uh, Occupancy. Somebody's listening that they're sitting in their plant uh, right now, and they can look out into the floor. And sure. what do you, you got? Anything for them? Sure. Well, number one, ensure your storage is orderly and in, in, in places where it's acceptable. Um, number two, you know, make sure your fire protection equipment is being inspected and checked on a regular basis. We take it for granted that, that, that the sprinkler system's active and, and ready to work, depending upon how old the building is, you might not have a monitored uh, sprinkler system by the fire alarm. Um, you know, your your hot work program, you know, I can't stress this enough because we see it at Honda and its other manufacturers as well. And I'm sure you've, you've read about the Boston fires and how they've been related to hot work. And there was actually a push at the last NFPA conference um, with hot work, you know, trying, trying to really push people to be more aware of it. You know, th- that's probably the biggest one because you have associates doing hot work and they have all good intentions, but they don't know yeah. fire. And if they're not following regulations, then if you ha- they could be the ignition source to a fire. So, well, you know, you know that- I'm sorry, we're going to have to leave it there because we're running out of time here, Brian. But I want to tell you, I thank you so very much for being here. Um, well, thank I you for- very much. And, and American Honda, thank you for allowing me uh, for for being here. Uh, When you come back, come back to Speaking of Fire. Thank you for tuning into Speaking of Fire. Please join your hosts, Mike Schlattman and Donna Ingram for another edition of our program next Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Remember to be careful this week and every week.